Good morning. Hope your Sunday is going well so far. Today we're going to be in Philippians 2, verse 8. Philippians 2, verse 8. So if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be. Now, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but what I want you guys to do is I just want you to focus. I want you to focus just on Philippians 2, verse 8. One thing that I have personally learned is that because I'm a human and my memory doesn't always serve me right, I need to break things down as simple as possible. I need to squeeze every single ounce of one verse out for it to stick in this noodle. And so that's what I want you guys to do this morning as well. I just want you to really focus on Philippians 2 verse 8. So before I start preaching, I'd like to pray. And if you think about it, please pray for this preacher. Father, I thank you so much for answered prayers. I thank you so much that you allow us to be a part of your plan in praying for certain situations and then you allow them to happen. It's not because we mustered up some type of faith. It's just because you delight in to be gloried in and that is a way that we get to glorify you. Father, would you please use the sermon today to encourage those that are faint-hearted. Would you use this message today in Philippians 2 verse 8 to convict the religious person that believes they are fooling you? Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to take our place. Would you please allow us and our affections to come out of our hearts to give you all of our honor, praise, and glory. In Son Jesus' name I pray, amen. Philippians 2 verse 8 says this, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. This morning, I want to ask one simple question. And I'm hoping that that simple question by the end of the message, will help us understand just a little bit more of this marvelous mystery that's in front of us this morning. And that that simple question is this. Do we truly, even in the tiniest bit, understand our Savior's humility? Do we understand our Savior's humility. I want to do this in three ways. First, what we're going to look at is Christ's being. 
then Christ's state, and then finally, Christ's obedience. And so when we come to this verse, Paul pens maybe the best six words that he could ever pen together. I mean, this is actually truly incredible. And being found in human form. Now, in order to better understand what these six words mean, I want to briefly look back to the Old Testament. And just add some, some promises, that, that promise of and being found in the form of a human. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers it is him you shall listen. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey. These are great promises that point to a future better and greater prophet, priest, and king. These promises point towards one coming in the form of a human. And who is it? Jesus. And this is where we now need to ask, well, who is Jesus? Well, John lets us know in John 1, 1 through 3, who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then a little further down, John in verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh. Let me say that again. The Word became flesh and it dwelt. The word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And being found in human form. Jesus was found in human form. And why is this so significant? Why is it so significant that Paul penned these six words together and being found in human form? Because Jesus is God. And that is incredible that God was found in human form. 
the creator of the universe, was found in human form. See, God did not send another Abraham. God did not send another Moses. God did not send another David, nor did he send a Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or an Isaiah. God came down as Jesus, being found in human form. (laughs) That is an incredible statement, and that is an incredible reality, that he was found in human form. So God, being found in human form, came down. And what did he do? Well, Paul tells us. He humbled himself. Right here, we need to ask ourselves, well, in what way did he humble himself? You know, Good place to start is 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. How rich was Christ? Well, Being God, the creator of everything, means that he owned everything and still does own everything. That's how rich he is. But gave up those riches, being found in human form, humbling himself. Every single aspect of Christ's life was a form of humility. Have you ever thought about that? Being born of a young woman who was about to be married to a carpenter? Their social status wasn't very high. In fact, he was born in a pretty humble way, right? Born in the manger. Jesus was never out for advancement or gain with money. Yet he relied day by day on what the Father had for him. So you can see his humility in the fact that he wasn't after status. He wasn't after becoming a king on earth. He wasn't after being the emperor. He wasn't after becoming the president. Oh no, the way that the God of the universe came was in humility. You could look at his friends, a couple of uneducated fishermen. He wasn't out to befriend the popular crew. You could see that in his reputation, that it was full of humility, even to the point where his family thought he was a lunatic. 
Oh, this is the humility of our Savior. His education. He went back to his hometown, and do you remember what the people said about him? Who's this guy? Jesus? Isn't this Jesus, the, the son of that carpenter? How's he talking like this? And despite what the pictures may show you of Jesus being this rugged guy with light skin and long hair, do you ever notice how Judas had to go up and actually kiss Jesus on the cheek so that the way the chief priests would know who to arrest? Even his appearance was one of humility. This, this is the God of the universe, the God of all creation, coming down, being found in the form of a human, humbling himself in every aspect of his life. That is incredible. But I know some may be thinking right now, well, you know, I'm a pretty humble person too. You should come and watch my life. <laughs> Jesus was, was actually just, you know, kind of a, a morally good person, right? He did all of these things because he was that moral guy. Man, do you, do you guys realize have you ever thought about that Jesus could have just, after the 10th time telling his disciples one thing over and over again, just throwing up his hands and be like, come on, guys, it's plain, it's simple. And yet Mark says that he looked out at the crowds with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> this is... The God of the universe. So although we might be able to say, well, you know, Jesus was just a morally good person. If that's what you're thinking, I want to, I want to hold you up right there and ask this question. How, how was Christ obedient? We, we looked at in what ways Christ was obedient in what ways Christ was humble, excuse me, but how was Christ humble? Well, the passage tells us how he was humble. Being found in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The God of all creation humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Brothers and sisters, this is incredible news. But let's look at his obedience in this way. Let's look at his final days. When the chief priests came to him, to arrest him, one of the disciples took out a sword and chops off a servant's ear. And Jesus stops him and says, my kingdom is not going to be brought in through swords. And he picks up the ear and actually puts it on the guy and heals him. 
And then while he's standing there being falsely accused over and over because the chief priests and Pharisees were just looking for a way to kill him, he stood there silent. And when they took him, they blindfolded him and started beating him. And the very saliva that the creator of the universe gives us is what they used to spit on him. This is the God of all creation being beaten and spit on. Not only that, they pulled his beard out. And let me tell you what, even the slightest yank on a beard is pretty painful. He was taken to Pilate. Pilate knew for some reason that this man was innocent. And yet because of Pilate being afraid of the crowds, condemns Jesus, and yet Jesus still does not say anything. He was quiet. He was scourged and whipped to the point where he was nearly unrecognizable. And this is the creator of the universe who if he wanted to, with a blink of an eye, could have just imploded everyone. In his final hours on the cross, he was being mocked. <laughs> You're supposed to be the king of the Jews. You saved people. Why don't you save yourself? Come down. He was found in the form of a human and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But why? Wasn't he innocent? Wasn't this man innocent? Yeah, he was innocent. He was the perfect, sinless son of God. So then why did he have to die? Why did he have to come down in the form of a human? Why did he have to humble himself in obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross? Because for by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That is good news. That Jesus, God himself, came down and put on flesh and he humbled himself in obedience to the Father's will in every way possible because of the one man's disobedience. And what was that disobedience? Have you guys ever thought about the fact that when God made Adam and Eve, 
the very first thing he did for them is he blessed them. He commanded them and blessed them. His commandment was a blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and rule over it. He gave them literally every single thing that he ever created besides one thing. Everything else he told them is yours. It's just this one thing. Just don't eat of it. But everything else, everything you could ever possible imagine of, yours. Yours, go ahead. Just stay away from that tree. Just don't eat it. Everything was theirs. And when the serpent came, he tempted them. And we see the one man's disobedience. And what happened there is that the many were made sinners. See, David says that no one is righteous, no, not one. He also says that we are born into our iniquities and sins. That means that literally everyone that is born is born sinful because of this man's disobedience. I mean, it's amazing. You don't have to teach a baby how to manipulate its parents into getting what it needs. It's amazing that you don't have to teach a toddler how to be jealous. That's my toy! You don't have to teach a teenager to be a liar. And you don't have to teach an adult how to be selfish for their own motives. We are born sinful, and because of that, we are under the judgment and wrath of a righteous and holy God. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. See, because it says, so by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. By Christ's obedience towards the Father's will, the many would be made righteous. This is incredible news. Because his obedience looked like being found in the form of a human. It would look like humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the good news of the gospel. That true humility is found solely and only in Christ. Isn't it amazing? You know, one thing that I've found so incredible is this state of, of humility. See, Christianity is totally and utterly different from any other religion out there. Because true humility can be found in Christ. What do I mean by this? You know, it's, it's interesting how other religions are very works-based. I need to do these good things to please God so that way I can get into heaven. So the only reason why I'm actually being nice and doing these good things 
is for a selfish motive, and that's to, to please God and get into heaven. No, Christianity says, humble yourself before the Lord. And what does that look like? It looks like recognizing that we all fall short of the glory of God. That I need a Savior, that you need a Savior to take on my sin, your sin, and die my death and take my judgment. Because at the right time, God came down being found in the form of a human, humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that sinners could put their faith and be saved from his judgment. This is why this passage is so incredible. It's because God himself came down to reconcile his creation back to him. And one thing I fear right now is that many of you aren't seeing the beauty in this passage. Because if we see the beauty in this passage, our lives would look completely and radically transformed. We would no longer look at our own interests, but we would spend every second that we are living to go, wow, look at God, look at what he's done. Have you humbled yourself? Have you come to grips with this reality? Don't delay. Don't delay putting your faith in Jesus and what he's done. Your car ride home may not happen. So then how do we look at this passage and apply it? See, I believe that when we are asking ourselves, how do we apply Scripture, we need to ask ourselves in light of Scripture. So the way that I apply Scripture is I ask myself, how does this make me love the Lord my God with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my strength? And how does this passage help me love my neighbor as myself? And I think there's, there's two ways. The first is humility, and the second is obedience. So let's look at humility. How do I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's humbling yourself before the Lord. It's recognizing that I am not my own in body or soul or life or death but I am God's and whatever he wants me to do, I will do it. 
And then that brings us into obedience. It's picking up his word and reading it and applying it. Not saying, well, I'm going to wait to do that. I'm going to wait for a better opportunity to do that. No, it's doing it right now. Not waiting. So then how do I love my neighbor as myself? Well, right before this verse, Paul is actually writing to the Philippians, helping them understand what it looks like to be imitators of Christ's humility. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you count your interests first? Or do you count the interests of others more highly than your own? This is what Christ-like humility looks like. Christ did not count his interests more highly than others. Because if he would have, it would have been smarter for him to count his interests and just stay in heaven where his riches overflowed and were bountiful. Do you have that type of humility? So what does it look like in obedience? Well, it looks like doing exactly what Paul just lays out in Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to be proud, stick-necked people. We have not been called out of death to passively sit by and be proud and arrogant. If anything, we should exhibit more love and humility and obedience than anyone else. God came down in human flesh humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So let's mimic our Savior and let us do it by loving him and loving our neighbor. Let's pray. Father, please forgive us. Forgive us for being lazy and selfish. Forgive us for counting our interests highly 
more highly than others, would you change our hearts? Would you change our hearts to count the interests of others more highly than ours? Oh, Father, I thank you so much for sending your Son to die, to be raised again three days later, defeating death. God, thank you for coming down in the form of a human. Would this passage grip our souls and be such an intimate reality that our lives, our actions, and our motives reflect it? We praise your name for mercy and grace. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.